Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 18, verses 8 through 11. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, today we finish our sermon series on sharing the good news of Jesus, that is evangelism. Will you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, in our passage of scripture today, the Apostle Paul is afraid. And you meet him in his fear with words of comfort and guidance. We ask that you would do the same with us today. Many of us carry fears and other strong emotions with all that's going on now. Would you meet us in our fears and give us words of comfort and guidance? All to the glory of of, of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to try to get a sense of Paul's life and to relate his life to ours, I want to start by telling you the story of Nicole Stott. Nicole is a wife. She's a mom. She's an artist, uh, a painter, and she's also a retired astronaut. Ten years ago, she flew into space and spent some time aboard the International Space Station. Now she's at home, like many of us, and she is quarantining at home. She recently reflected on her time aboard the International Space Station, and she says her time there was very much like her time now. She says she felt like she was quarantining while she was on the space station. She says it felt like a quarantine because... When you're on a space station, you can't just open up the hatch and go outside anytime you want to. You have to stay inside with several other people. Uh, She says that her time there on the space station is very much like her time now in several different respects. When she was in the space station, she had one large window that she would look out at and she would look at Earth. She said she would stare at the Earth for hours trying to locate different cities and oceans and the Great Wall of China, and she would watch thunderstorms move along the Earth's surface. In her home now, Nicole has a very large window that opens up into her backyard, and she says that she sits there for hours, trying to see things that she has never seen before, colors and bugs and animals and things that, that plants that she's never seen before. Her time aboard the space station was it like, like her time now in, in another way? She says that aboard the space station, she would sometimes get disoriented and not remember what day it was because Wednesday felt like Tuesday and Friday felt like Thursday. Uh, some of us would say the same thing right now, that for the last few months, Wednesdays felt like Tuesday, Fridays felt like Thursday. It's been hard to tell some of the days apart. But with all the similarities for Nicole between her time aboard the space station and her time quarantining at home now, there's one key difference. Beyond the obvious that 
she was in space. There's one key difference between those two quarantines. As taxing as Nicole's journey was to go to outer space, as taxing as it was physically, mentally, emotionally, when she was strapped into that rocket about to launch into space, she had one key advantage over her quarantining time now. She knew that her journey into space would last for exactly 90 days. She knew it would last 90 days. She knew exactly the hour, even the minute, in which she would come back and enter into Earth's atmosphere, when she would come back and return to normal gravity, normal breathing, normal life. Just 90 days on her journey. When our quarantining began, when shelter-in-place orders were given, we were strapped in, we were ready, but we were never told that our coronavirus journey would be over in 90 days. We are near the 90-day mark, and we don't know when this will end. Though some circumstances are changing right now, we don't know when a vaccine might be available. We are, are about 90 days into this, and we don't know when our coronavirus journey will end. And it's the not knowing when this will end that causes a lot of anxiety and stress and angst. Psychiatrists say that we can get through almost anything in life, any hard experience in life, provided that two conditions are met. One, that people are with us through our hard times, and second, that we know when the hard times will end, that there's some time limit that we can look forward to and know, okay, things will get back to normal or be different then. But neither of those are very much the case right now. We don't have a lot of people close to us. We don't know when this time will end. We can't say right now that things will be all better in August. In fact, we're told there might be a spike in COVID cases in the early fall or that there might be a spike in cases in the cold of winter or December or January. And that causes us to fear what could happen. That produces anxiety and stress. And sometimes fear grips our hearts for what could happen later this year. How can the Lord meet us now in our anxieties, in our fears? Well, our scripture in Acts chapter 18 shows how Jesus meets Paul in the fears that he carried that were so deep in his heart. And I think we can then see how Jesus meets us. We'll see in three ways how Jesus meets us in our fears. First, Jesus gives us his presence He gives us his people, and he gives us his power. Jesus gives us his presence, he gives us his people, and he gives us his power. When we we look at the the life of Paul, he was an apostle, and when we think of him, we realize he was a master evangelist, a brilliant man. We think he had the equivalent of three PhD degrees by the time he was 21 years old. And so we look at Paul and we think, here's a passionate man who was always bold. I bet he told everyone he knew about their need to repent for their sins and to trust in Jesus alone for mercy and for salvation. I bet he never hesitated when it came to evangelism and was always bold. We think Paul was never full of fear until we read that he writes, I was full of fear. For our passage today, Acts chapter 18, Paul is in Corinth, and when he wrote his first letter to the church in Corinth, that is 1 Corinthians, 
in chapter two, he admits to them how he felt when he first visited Corinth. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Diving a little deeper into the Greek, we see that what Paul meant was when he said, I was with you in weakness, that means that he felt his frailty. He felt a lack of strength upon first entering this town of Corinth. He felt a great sense of fear, that is dread or terror. And even to the point of trembling, that's how afraid he was. When was the last time that you trembled? That you had such fear in your heart, you actually began to, sh- to shake? Well, that's the Apostle Paul. That's what he felt when he entered this town of Corinth. When he sensed the Lord was calling him to tell people about Jesus, he shook. He was scared, even to the point of trembling. Now, he was scared because Paul, sharing the gospel, began to cause problems. People had a hard time listening to him. They ignored him. They harassed him. They ridiculed him to the point where he had to leave the local synagogue. During the week, he was a tent maker. On the weekend, he would go to the synagogue and plead with people to come and know Jesus. He was ridiculed and ignored, kicked out. And so he goes to a house right next door to the synagogue in our story, the house of Titius Justice, and he meets people there and begins to tell other people about Jesus, but he's down. He's afraid of what's going to happen to him. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who's paying very close attention to Paul and his life, knows that Paul feels afraid. So our scripture says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Now Jesus had come to Paul in a previous vision too in converting him, but now comes to Paul now one night in a vision and says, don't be afraid, I am with you. Why would Paul be afraid? Well, he has enemies, but he also has a fear of the unknown. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him there. And so Jesus comforts him by saying, don't be afraid, I am with you. What is Jesus in effect saying to Paul? Jesus is saying, Paul, I'm paying paying very close attention to you. I am aware of everything that happens to you. I know the movement of everyone around you and I am your Lord. The hairs on your head are numbered and not one of them will perish. The Lord is paying very close attention to Paul. And so that's how Jesus can say to him, look, don't be afraid, I am with you. In your weakness, in your fear, I am with you. God knows his people intimately And whenever he senses that his people are afraid, he reminds them that he meets them in their vulnerability with his presence. We see this over and over in the scripture. After the death of Moses, the Lord says to Joshua, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Joshua. The Lord said, says to his people in Isaiah chapter 41, you're my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. And then Isaiah 43, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. 
and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Later, the Lord says to Jeremiah, don't be afraid, for I am with you, and I am with you to deliver you. Jesus, at the end of his life here on earth, right before he ascends to go to God the Father, he looks at the disciples and he says, I am with you and I am with you always. And so Jesus gives the same refrain now to Paul, sensing that Paul is afraid. Jesus comes to him in a vision, says, don't be afraid, I am with you. Go on speaking, don't be silent. The Lord gives us the same message now to meet you and I, in our very strong emotions, in our anxiety and in our fear, Jesus gives us his presence. He is with us and he says, don't be afraid. I am with you in this. I am with you in your fear of sickness. I am with you in your sickness. I'm with you as you go through a salary reduction or job loss, as you let other people go, I am with you in challenges to your soul and challenges to your body with exercise, sleep, and eating, I am with you. In all of the extra work with the masks and the gloves and viral load and groceries and canceled trips and all the weariness and all of the cognitive weight that we're dealing with each day and all the extra work, Jesus says, I am with you, don't be afraid. In your loneliness, he says, I am with you. Now, Jesus knows loneliness, and he knows it to a degree that, thankfully, we, we never have to know. If you look at his life, you remember he was in the desert at the beginning of his public ministry, uh, going through a period of temptation by the devil. He was hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He was alone there. On the night before his death, the Lord was in the garden of Gethsemane and his friends can't even stay up. And he looks at them and says, can't you just stay up one night with me? The night of all nights to stay up with the Lord. And Jesus is left by himself to deal with that pain and suffering. And then, of course, on the cross, he even looks up at his father and says, Father, why have you left me? He understands loneliness and weariness. He understands the cognitive weight of going it alone and he understands fear and yet he kept going through that to redeem a people to himself and so Jesus says to Paul don't be afraid go on speaking and do not be silent which speaks to our identity as God's redeemed people we are we've been redeemed we've been saved and we've been called to be witnesses to the Lord In Isaiah chapter 43, which I quoted earlier, God says to his people, you are my witnesses. I remember your sins no more. I've saved you, I've redeemed you, and so now you are my witnesses. We must live out our identity now as a redeemed people. We must, like Paul, go on speaking and do not be silent because Jesus is with us. So first, to meet us in our fears, Jesus gives us his presence Second, we see from the scripture, Jesus gives us his people as well. So Jesus, speaking to Paul, says, don't be afraid, I am with you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And then Paul stays a year and six months teaching the word of God after receiving this encouragement from Jesus. So Jesus begins to send people to Paul 
to encourage him. Aquila and Priscilla come from the west. They join Paul to help him in the synagogue to encourage him and to build tents with him. The Lord sends Silas and Timothy from the north. They arrive from Macedonia to come and encourage Paul. And when Paul leaves the synagogue, he goes next door to the home of Titius Justus, who loves the Lord. And who is there to meet Paul when he's in that home next to the synagogue? The leader of the synagogue who loves Jesus, Crispus. And we know from the letter uh, that Paul wrote of 1 Corinthians that Paul, the apostle Paul baptized Crispus and his whole household, in fact. And so the Lord brought Crispus there to encourage Paul. You've got Aquila and Priscilla, Silas, Timothy, Titius Justus, Crispus and his family, all surrounding Paul there to encourage him and to help him. The Lord sends Paul, his people, to help him. So I mentioned astronaut Nicole Stott earlier and the 90 days exactly that she spent in space. She said there was one time when she was in space in which she was lonely, in which she felt isolated, and it was on her one spacewalk. She went on one spacewalk that lasted six and a half hours. She left her quarantine, if you will, opened up the hatch and went outside. She said she began to feel lonely, but she says that in the many hours she was on her spacewalk, she also felt more connected to people than ever before. She admits she was connected by technology. She couldn't hug or hold anyone. She couldn't touch anyone out there, but she knew that there were hundreds of people down below that had her back, that were connected to her, that cared about what happened to her. She says, I knew that there were people who had my back. Even though I could not see them, I knew that there were a lot of people who cared about what was happening to me. So during this quarantine now, who has your back? Who cares about what is happening to you? Even though you can't always hug and and see the people the Lord has brought to you, you're connected to to them somehow, maybe through just technology. But who has the Lord sent to check in with you, to encourage you, to keep you going? It's no accident that this has happened. The Lord has pushed people toward you to reach out to you to care for you because he loves you. The Lord has given you his people. The Lord says the hairs of Paul's head, the hairs of your head are numbered and none will perish without the Lord knowing it. He is paying very close attention and sending people to you and I to encourage us and to help us keep going. But it's not only that, you've been sent too to get the back of others, to encourage them to reach out to other people. Part of being a redeemed, saved people Part of our identity, according to Isaiah 43 and really all of scripture, is that we are called to be witnesses. We're called to testify out of this redemption. We've been lifted out of the miry pit, set on solid ground. And now our privilege is to testify to what God is doing and that he's willing to do it with many others. We've been sent to be witnesses to those around us. So our focus this spring has been evangelism. But you may have asked the question, evangelism during a pandemic? How does that work? If loving my neighbor means social distancing, if loving my neighbor means kind of staying away from them in some respects, how do you do evangelism during a pandemic? How does that work? 
especially now when we feel so much, when we carry angst about the future, when we've experienced very real losses, the loss of time, the loss of some people who've died, weakened friendships, canceled trips, when we've lost so much, how does evangelism work during a pandemic? Well, about 30 years ago in 1992, war began to break out in the Balkans. And in one neighborhood in the former Yugoslavia, in one neighborhood of Sarajevo, just as the war was beginning, a bomb was set and it went off near a bakery. 22 people died. And living nearby was this man named Vedran Smolovich. Vedran lived in Sarajevo. He was deeply grieved by the start of this war. And of course, he heard about this bombing that killed 22 people near a bakery. He was full of fear, full of angst for what the future held for his country and his neighborhood. And he began to ask the question, how can I love my neighbor? How can I love those around me as war breaks out? Well, Vedran played the cello. His job was to play the cello in the Sarajevo opera. So he went to the neighborhood bakery where the bomb had exploded. He carried in one hand his cello and in his other hand he carried a white plastic chair. He went to the sidewalk right outside the bakery, opened up his white plastic chair and his cello case and began to play the cello. He played Albanoni's Adagio in G minor and he played it for 22 days in a row to honor the 22 people who had died. He played it 22 days in a row at exactly four o'clock in the afternoon. Now reporters heard about this and came and began to write stories about this cellist of Sarajevo who played on the sidewalk where the bomb had exploded. And some began to ask, why is he even doing this? A war is breaking out. The reporters could hear bombs exploding in other parts of Sarajevo. What's the point of playing cello on a sidewalk during a war? Well, for Vedran, he understood something very important. He understood that loving people means caring for the whole person, not just their body, but their hearts and their souls as well. And that was the gift that he had to give. How could he love his neighbor? Playing cello on the sidewalk in a war zone was the way for Vedran to love his neighbor. The call to testify to the goodness and the mercy of God with our neighbors during a pandemic may sound like playing the cello on a sidewalk in a war zone, but loving people means caring for the whole person as God made them, body and soul. And that's exactly what we are called to do. To love our neighbor means to care about them, body and soul. So how do we do that? None of us are cellists in Sarajevo in a war zone, but how do we love our neighbor and care for them, body and soul? How do we be witnesses? Well, Paul was called to a specific neighborhood there in Corinth. You and I have been set by the sovereignty of God in certain neighborhoods. We have been set by God onto Silverstone Drive, onto Cove Circle, Norman Road, Lone Star Trail, Sandpiper Drive. We have been set to Tucker, to Decatur, to Smyrna, to Ladovi Lane, to Caliber Woods. So what does evangelism during social distancing 
look like for you and I? Well, it means praying for people, praying for them by name, that they would come to know and love Jesus and would grow in faith. We know this because this is what Jesus and Paul did. This is part of evangelism. Jesus prayed for people in Jerusalem to come and know his father. Paul prayed for people throughout the Mediterranean by name, by city, by town, that they would come to know and love Jesus. Praying for your neighbors right now is part of evangelism. You may do this especially if you walk around your neighborhood. A lot of us are walking right now. You're not not carrying a cello with you as you walk around, so you're not going to play the cello on the sidewalk right outside your neighbor. But as you're walking on that sidewalk, you can pray for them. That's part of evangelism. And as you pray for them to come and know the Lord Jesus, you can ask the Lord to help you connect with them somehow. Maybe right now these prayers you and I offer are sowing seeds for the fall, and that is a good use of time. It's hard to ignore your neighbor when you pray for them regularly. It's hard to hate your neighbor when you pray for them regularly. And as you pray for your neighbors, uh, the Lord begins to soften your heart for them and change your your interactions with them. So one way we look for opportunities to speak at Jesus or to, to speak for Jesus is to pray for him. We all have strong feelings uh, right inside of us right now. We have a lot to deal with. Our neighbors and our family members are more open to talking now than ever. There was an article this week in the New York Times just entitled The Death of Small Talk. People right now as they are engaging are not engaging much in small talk. It's not as if people are saying, how are you? And someone says, fine. No, people are asking deeper questions. They're asking, how are you making it right now? How are you getting by? These are invitations to speak to our neighbors, speak of the goodness of God. Evangelism during a pandemic begins to make sense, I think, when we realize people are more open than ever to sharing about their lives and to hearing about our lives and how we're coping right now. Well, to help us, Jesus gives us his presence. He gives us his people. And finally, he gives us his power as well. He gives us his power. So Jesus says to Paul as he is afraid, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. For I have many in this city who are my people. The Lord has people in the city of Corinth, not only to encourage Paul, but the Lord has people who have been appointed to eternal life. Jesus says, I have many in this city who are my people. And so he says to Paul, go on speaking. Go on speaking words of life because I have appointed people to come to me. This understanding for Paul that Jesus has many in his city who are his people would make sense to him. Earlier in the book of Acts, as the good news of Jesus is spreading to Jews and Gentiles, Luke writes that when Gentiles heard the gospel through Paul, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The Lord had appointed people to eternal life in Paul's ministry, and so Jesus says to Paul, keep talking. This is the Lord's sovereign grace at work. Paul says, keep talking. When you and I reach out to others and attempt to engage in evangelism with people, the Uh, salvation of others does not depend directly on us using the right turn of phrase or getting it just right or using the perfect ironclad argument. The Lord has appointed for himself certain people to eternal life and we get to speak and the Lord uses our words. 
In our worship order, which is online, there are a few quotes there at the beginning. I'll mention one quote that speaks to this. It's from a guy named J.I. Packer. He wrote a book on evangelism and the sovereign grace of God. And he speaks to this understanding that Paul has. Packer writes, the sovereignty of God and grace gives us our only hope of success in evangelism. So far from making evangelism pointless, the sovereignty of God and grace is the one thing that prevents evangelism from being pointless. For it creates the possibility, indeed the certainty, that evangelism will be fruitful. Our efforts are never in vain because of the the sovereignty of God's grace. Jesus is saying to Paul, I have many people in Corinth, so go on speaking. Jesus says to you and I, I have many people in Atlanta and Decatur and Tucker and other areas that have been appointed to eternal life. So wherever I have set you, go on speaking, go on praying, go on loving your neighbor. Now, this is a larger view of evangelism than I think maybe some of us carry. Some of us may think of evangelism very narrowly in terms of sharing the gospel or making a three-point presentation, but evangelism is much larger than that. It is testifying to the goodness of God to our neighbors and loving them body and soul. When I was a campus minister with RUF, which is the campus ministry of our denomination, I was a college minister in Memphis at Rhodes College. And about three years into being on campus, an unusual dynamic began. I was meeting with some of our juniors and seniors, and our students said to me, hey, there's this other ministry on campus, and their student leaders and their staff leaders keep coming up to us and saying, hey, your ministry, RUF, doesn't do any evangelism. Why don't you all start doing evangelism? And I'm not sure how to respond. First of all, why are they coming up to us and telling us that? And after the sixth or seventh junior and senior began saying that to me, I, I would sit down with them and say, well, I think this other campus ministry has a very narrow view of evangelism. They enter into dormitories and knock on doors indiscriminately of people they don't know and immediately go into their presentation of Jesus. They're very confrontational. That's what they understand evangelism to be, sharing immediately about the life, death, and resurrection with people, no matter how people might receive it. And I told our juniors and seniors, actually, this ministry has been kicked off campus before and made it harder for other ministries to get on. They view evangelism in this one very narrow way, this sort of presentation to people. I furthermore said to our juniors and seniors, if RUF does one thing well on this campus, and I'm not assuming that we do many things well, or even one thing well. But if RUF does one thing well on our campus, I said, it's evangelism. Evangelism is more than how this other ministry was defining. I said, we need to care for this campus in all sorts of ways. We need to care for people, body and soul. And look for opportunities, yes, to speak to Jesus, of Jesus and to invite people to church. But we need to understand that people will listen to us only when they know that we care about them. People will listen to us only as they know that we care about them. So let's care for this place. Let's care for our neighbor 
body and soul. I said to our students, evangelism is much more than just making a brief presentation. It is praying for people, praying for a place and loving our neighbors. Another quote I have at the beginning of our online order of worship speaks to this, how loving our neighbors is an essential part of our evangelism, our testimony to the goodness of God. It's a quote from Jerem Bars from his book, Learning Evangelism from Jesus, in which he writes, we are to seek to demonstrate in our lives the perfect love that has existed between the Father and the Son through all eternity. It is the reality of love in our lives which will be one of the most powerful means of people in the world seeing the beauty of the message of Christ. By our love, people will know that the Father has sent the Son into the world. By our love for one another, people will know that we are loved by God. Evangelism is being a witness to the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, and we do that in a whole range of ways. The Lord in his sovereign grace has appointed people to eternal life. It is not entirely up to you to convince them of this, but it is up to us to be faithful where we are. The Lord is the one who raises people from death to life. This summer, wherever God has planted you, pray for people, love people, People. Look to speak about the goodness of God toward us in Jesus Christ at every opportunity. Well, astronaut Nicole Stott finally returned from space after 90 days. And when she got home, after she went through a series of protocols, she immediately hugged her family. She hugged her husband and her son. There were no more virtual hugs for her over screens. It was a real hug. And she says that that first hug with her family reminded her of what life is supposed to be like. In person, she says, hugging the people you love, that's what life is supposed to be like. Well, we look forward to that day too. We will get through this pandemic. We will hug each other again. And when we do hug, we will be reminded of what life is supposed to be like. In the meantime, As you negotiate all that you're dealing with, this is a special time. People are more open to talking. There are more opportunities to love people in deep ways. Let's do that. Let's not grow weary in loving our family, in loving our neighbors, body and soul. How does Jesus meet us in our fears right now? Jesus gives us his presence, his people, and his power. Your life, your ministry, Your evangelism is not in vain. God is at work. Will you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for how honest scripture is. As we look at Paul's life and we see his fear, we also see your grace that meets him in his vulnerability. Would you meet us too this week, Lord, in our fears that we carry. Would you give us words of comfort and guidance and lead us to testify to your goodness in all the different ways we can do that with our neighbors and with those whom we live with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.